Welcome, everyone, to this conversation with two of our favorite forward movement authors. Today, we have Lindsay Harden Freeman, author of the best-selling book, Bible Women, All Their Words and Why They Matter, and Kate Moorhead, author of Angels of the Bible, Finding Grace, Beauty, and Meaning. Welcome, Lindsay, Kate. Thanks for being here today to talk about the role of women and the role of angels in the Bible. Thank you. Good to be here. So we've had some great conversations already exploring Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel and the angel who visits Eve at the gate of the Garden of Eden. Today, we're going to talk about perhaps a lesser known story of Hagar and her encounter with an angel of the Lord. So first, let's put the story into context. For those who want to read the story in their Bible, you can find it in Genesis chapter 16 and then chapter 21. But Lindsay, give us the uh, short story, put Hagar into context. Who is she? What's happening in the biblical narrative here as we're introduced to Hagar? This is a really pivotal point in the Bible, and it happens in Genesis. Basically, Hagar's story is found in chapter 16 and 21. And it's an amazing story. You have to peel back the layers of it. And Hagar will inexplicably be linked to Sarah and Abraham. And Bible chronology would put this story at about 1900 BCE. And as you remember, Abraham and Sarah are wandering in the wilderness because God has told them to go out in the wilderness. And there they will have as many children, many descendants as there are stars in the sky. In biblical vision of that point, it was all about having descendants, all about leaving a legacy through your children and through your property to a lesser extent. So this this concept of having children and descendants is very important. Abraham and Sarah, by all our accounts, are a happily married couple. They leave home. They're what is considered old at this point. I believe that uh, Abraham is about 75 and Sarah is about 60. Correct me on, on those if I'm wrong. But the point is that they are that they are very old, and they start wandering and wandering, and they don't get pregnant. Sarah does not get pregnant. And here's this big covenant by God say, go, I will show you the promised land. Go, you will have descendants, but nothing is happening. So they have trials and tribulations throughout, uh, throughout the wilderness. Sarah is uh, captured and kidnapped by some point by, by the local king. And what happens is that they lose faith in the covenant that God has promised, at least that's the way the Bible presents it. They lose faith and they believe that it's time to find another way to have a child. So Sarah takes her maid, her servant, her Egyptian servant named Hagar, and it's pretty well understood that she also be considered a concubine, sends her into Abraham's tent and she becomes pregnant with Ishmael. Ishmael is born about 15, 12, 15 years earlier than Isaac, who will be eventually the heir to Abraham and Sarah. And there the sparks fly um, because Hagar is so, un- Hagar is accused, at least in the Bible, of becoming haughty. She's, she's pregnant with a child of the man, of the leader of the tribe. Some would consider it rape. Other would consider it's throughout the ages. This has been hotly debated. She's pregnant. She becomes haughty. She goes out into the wilderness And there she runs into, because she's so unhappy, and there she runs into an angel of the Lord who tells her to return and submit to her mistress. That's the first half of the story, and I'll leave it there. Great. Well, let's go back for just a second before we get to Hagar's encounter with the angel. I want to talk for a minute about this importance of having a procreation, of having children, of of why that is so important, and what role that has in this 
pretty shocking story of this married couple turning to a, another woman, um, the Sarah inviting another woman into her husband's bed to have a, a child. That's pretty shocking. Kate, tell me about what's going on here. What led Sarah to this moment? It's hard for us to imagine nowadays how pivotal procreation was in this time. In fact, if you look carefully at the scripture, there are many genealogies. There are genealogies in Genesis. There are genealogies in the Gospels. These genealogies were an example of showing how very important it was that people continued, that the human race continued, because that was up for question. I mean, they were living very precarious lives. So having children literally meant the continuation of life itself. And it was the biggest question in your life would be, do you create children? Do you bear children? Um, And the purpose of a woman was to bear children. She was owned. She was property. She was basically a womb um, for the purpose of having children. Uh, That was what they saw as the purpose of her body because it wasn't as strong as a man's. It couldn't hunt and gather as quickly as a man's. Um, So that was her purpose. So if a woman did not bear a child, it was almost as if she was considered an empty shell or a empty vessel, not worth anything because she hadn't fulfilled the purpose of her life. So for Sarah, as she aged, uh, I cannot imagine the anxiety that must have been produced in the depression and the despair when she's married to this, this faithful man who has a good entourage. I mean, he's, he's got everything. She's supposed to provide him with a son and she's not doing it. Her body is not producing. So it was not uncommon back then for, for, um, a married couple to take a slave girl uh, because again, there was property. There's another womb. Let's use this womb instead of that womb. Um, there wasn't any thought about consent or no consent, you know. Um, and so she, it's interesting because it's Sarah who suggests that Abraham take this slave girl. It wasn't the man. It was, it was the woman actually proponent, uh, the proponent of this horrible uh, ab- abuse and, and objectification and rape. And it was the woman who suggests it because she needs to feel validated and to feel a sense of worth. And the only way she thinks she can accomplish that is by abusing and terrorizing another woman. And not only does Hagar get pregnant, but Sarah mistreats her. She flees into the desert because Sarah is, the Hebrew is sort of harassment, abuse. Uh, She was, from what you can tell, terrible (laughs) to this other woman. Uh, So it's a fascinating, fascinating, um, such a sad situation back then when women, uh, their entire value came from their ability to have children. Um, They had no worth as human beings. I want to take it aside here. I want to continue with the story in just a moment, but I think sometimes modern listeners would say, it's hard to relate to that. I'm not going to invite another woman into my husband's bed. I'm not going to be the other woman who comes in and, um, and bears another man's child and that type of thing. But I think what, as, as modern listeners, there is a, also a lesson of how women treat each other. Yes. And, um, and I wonder what thoughts you all have about that, that um, how, how can women sometimes tear each other down? And what are the the lessons here about how the importance of building one another up and being supporters and 
nurturers instead of seeing each other as competitors. I'm not. I, I'm not sure that I see the the black and white in this story um, because there are several stories in the Old Testament about, for instance, Jacob with Rachel and Leah and with his his wives slaves and how they all had children together. I'm not sure I see this in such harsh terms because she very well could have been raped, Hagar, and when there's a power imbalance, it usually is rape. But at the same time, she wouldn't have had children either if it weren't for this intervention by Sarah and Abraham. So, and I'd like to think that the the story of Sarah and Abraham has some love and common affection to it. They were together a long time. We see their personalities emerge. So I'm not sure it was as terrorizing. We won't know because we're not there. But in terms of competitors, the whole, as we're going to talk about in a minute, the whole Jewish Islamic Christian story is wrapped up in these three um, individuals, and especially Sarah and Hagar. And I, I always find myself thinking if they could have found a way to be less competitive, work a little better together, yeah, wow. perhaps yeah. we wouldn't have all these, the conflict that we have today. Now, that's, that's way back in our legend and our our, our sacred treasure, the Bible and the myth and all of that comes together in these stories. But I often find myself thinking that, geez, wish they'd done a better job of uh, working it out there and maybe mm-hmm. we'd have more harmony today. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. Hagar may have been honored to be Abraham's, um, there wasn't really a word for concubine yet, so it would have been a wife because they just, if you had intercourse, that was your wife. So, um, but Certainly afterwards, when Hagar has the child, Sarah, there's no no dispute that the Hebrew is mean. She, she Sarah was mean, and and Hagar didn't leave just because she didn't wasn't having a good time. She she left because she was desperate and running out into the desert. They think it was the Negev that that Hagar was heading towards Egypt, where she may have been from. Uh, that she was running home. Uh, she's probably a young girl. Um, and uh, it is a bit sad that Sarah didn't take care of her. Um, and, you know, being a young mother is kind of emotional anyway. Usually you're kind of all over the place. Your moods are swinging and you're crying a lot. And here you have this older woman giving you a hard time. Uh, it's a sort of a sad scenario um, for women's relationships. And it doesn't say a lot about Abraham either. Yeah, where is the guy? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, definitely can't let him off the hook here either. Exactly. So, so we're in the desert, in the wilderness, and some accounts say with Hagar, and she meets an angel. Kate, what happens there? Well, it it looks from from the scripture that that Hagar is upset. Um, she is thirsty, which is completely understandable in that kind of climate. She is near a spring of water, uh, which she finds, which is great. So she's not about to die, but probably death is possibility, uh, especially if she was nursing a baby. We're not sure exactly how old the baby was, but, um, and this messenger appears, you know, the Hebrew is the most broad of all, and it's just a messenger. It could have been a human being, could have been a celestial figure. We don't have any idea. And this messenger basically is the first one that says her name, first of all. Sarah and Abraham have not called her by her name. So the the angel says, Hagar, 
but then says slave girl, <laughs> where are you going? Um, she's, she's honest. She says, I'm running away from my mistress. Then the angel tells her to go back, which is so interesting and almost disturbing because she was being mistreated. So the angel says, go to your mistress and you're going to suffer at her hand. But I have more of a plan, basically. You're going you're gonna to bear this son and he will be amazing. So I guess at this point, she hasn't yet born the son. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So she goes back. She goes back. And she, you think of, you think of that um, being pregnant and thirsty and scared, like really pregnant, because it sounds like she was. Yeah, I guess if she hasn't born the child yet, she's really pregnant, right? Um, and so God may have suggested that she go back for her own protection so she would have the baby, and supposedly Sarah, as the elder woman of the tribe, would have been the healer, would have attended most, most of the births. And there's some indication that in cultural times, if the servant was to have a baby for a woman, that the woman had to sit behind right. the slave, and the slave would have to give birth basically on the woman's lap. We don't know if any of that happened in the Bible or not. But it's a, it is a scary thing to have to go back and submit and know you're going to suffer. But it reminds me, of course, all of the stories in Genesis are about breaking out and suffering. You look at the story of Eve. She was told she was going to suffer too by having children. And yet that's, so that's a part of the human journey and human process is, is suffering. And God appears to endorse it here, not for the sake of suffering itself, but for growth, I would say, and moving out and part of the process. It's nice to know that God has a plan, isn't it? That it's not just, oh, go back and suffer forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just thinking of, of course, Mary being very pregnant and on this journey. And mm -hmm. this isn't the only time in the Bible we hear of, of women kind of on the cusp of new life and um, significant things happening, um, but also at a very vulnerable time in their life and um, a time where things could go very wrong. But, but God wraps God's arms around through Angel's baby and says, I'm here. I, I am. I'm with you. So Hagar doesn't, she goes back, but my sense and my understanding is that she doesn't go back the same woman. How do you think she has changed from this encounter? With the angel. Well, she goes back and she has this boy and the angel has named the boy Ishmael. So she has this sense of confidence, mm -hmm. which happens to women in the scripture when they bear a son. They were considered, if they had seven of them, they were considered a virtual male. So every time a son was born, <laughs> the validity of the woman increased. So she's feeling that validation. And she just raises this boy and we don't really hear much from her. It's quiet until the second son is born to, to Sarah. And Lindsay, the second son is of course, Isaac. Isaac. Right. And he is the, apparently in our Bible, he is the child of the covenant. Um, there is some conflict between Sarah, ongoing conflict between Sarah and Hagar. It's quiet for a while, but then Ishmael gets to be about 15 and, Isaac is weaned from Sarah at about, oh, usually any, about age three, probably. And then Sarah sees Ishmael taunting Isaac. And she goes to Abraham and says, you must, you must I've had enough. This is it. You must send her away. Mm -hmm. and, um, and Isaac, or Abraham says, well, or say, we have to send her away. And he says, up to you. 
And uh, so the, the point of this is, is that Ishmael and Hagar find themselves once again out in the desert. And this time it looks like all is going to end. They're really thirsty and they're really hungry. And Kate, I'm going to switch it over to you because we have a big encounter with an angel here. Yeah. Um, she does believe she's going to die and she doesn't want to die in front of her child. So she flings the baby under a bush or the, the child, who I guess is bigger, but she flings him under the bush and goes and sits down at a distance and says, I don't want to see my kid die and I don't want to die first. Um, and that's when, and this time it's really interesting in the Hebrew, God is speaking through the messenger. So there are lots of scholars debating, but they believe that the angel spoke on behalf of God. The angel was God. It's not really clear, but it's basically a similar message that many angels give. Don't be afraid, get up, pick the boy back up and hold him by the hand. And we're going to make a great nation out of you. And they don't go back to Abraham, but they just live, which is a much more liberating concept. The boy grows up and dwells in the wilderness, it says. And he became a seasoned bowman. So I guess he got to hunting. And uh, I think they do well. And Hagar finds a wife for him, which is pretty exceptional. Yeah, she acts like a father. She acts like a father. She finds a wife for him. And there are 12 tribes that come from Ishmael, children, which parallel the 12 tribes of Ishmael coming from Isaac. And uh, back then we have it, don't we? This sort of source of a lot of, a lot of turmoil and a lot of uh, just a lot of negative energy. But I also find it, very, I find it very interesting, the part about where the angel says to Hagar, do not be afraid. That is such a common theme with angels all the way through the Bible. Do not be afraid. We just went through that at Christmas time with Mary and Gabriel and Gabriel talking to Joseph and do not be afraid with the shepherds. And now all of a sudden we hate, we hear Ishmael being, being told the same thing. It's a resurrection uh, message in a way, because the angel says, get rise up, rise up. Get, yeah. And she's made a different person. And again, another, another kind of person. It, it's interesting. This idea of fear of being the great stumbling block for so for us of, there are a lot of things that a lot of sinful things that we do, but it sounds like fear is God is challenging us, encouraging us, nurturing us to overcome that fear to be bold in and what God is calling us to. Yeah, it's in a way it makes you wonder if angels are always saying basically the same thing to us mm-hmm. to not be afraid because God sees our possibilities. We see our limitations. We, we see all the things that could go wrong, and God sees the things that could go right. So this, it, it's in a way, it's a liberation. It's a freeing of Hagar because she's, she's so bound up in, in, what, in her slavery and her womanhood. She's convinced she's just going to become part of the dust and not exist anymore, which is a, a really what fear is about. We we think we're going to just somehow go away that we don't matter, okay. and 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 the angel saying you do matter. You're going to be the mother of all this. I don't think Abraham or Hagar or Sarah could have conceived of the descendants that have come from them. I mean, I it's mind boggling to think how significant they were. So they do indeed number the more than the stars in the heavens. Yeah, don't, don't we? Yeah. Right. 
So Isaac, on the one hand, we have Isaac and Isaac's descendants, uh, the Jewish people. And on the other hand, we have Ishmael and his descendants with the Muslim people. So talk to us about that. Here we have these same father, two sons, two peoples, and thousands of years of conflict. There's a certain sense of sadness, I think, when we're talking about these women today. And I know that I, I feel it because if we live into their stories as real people, just live into their stories and forget any preconceptions that we have. The question that always goes through my mind when I, when I look at this is, where, where was God in, in all of this? And what's God got in mind? Um, here God is saying, okay, at least in the, at least in the Jewish Hebrew tradition that the covenant is with Isaac and those are going to be God's primary descendants or the descendants of more value, which is a, it was real. But then you have the whole Islamic side of thing. We're coming from Ishmael. And so I'm, I'm asking the question, why does that division get set up so early? And it seems to be God is a pretty, pretty active participant in all of this. That troubles me. So I'm assuming like Hagar, like God told Hagar, hey, I've got a plan. I'd like to think that God has a plan for all of this. Mm -hmm. And maybe yeah. it's right within our very, uh, maybe that's part of our job as human beings is to, is to bring things back together. But it's, it is a troubling story because um, I, I asked my evangelical friends on the far right, well, what, what are you thinking about this story? How does this make sense to you? And they, they will jump in and say things well, Abraham and Sarah were disobedient. If they would have waited and not gone ahead, then, they're, then they're, the whole Islamic branch of, of religion would not be there. And to me, that's, that's not a good solution. I believe that God approaches us and holds us in love from many, many different traditions, including Islamic uh, and including Christian and Jewish and all of that. But it is a troubling, it's a troubling story, for sure, I think, and it's in some ways a sad story. Kate, when you were talking about Hagar finding life and Ishmael finding life and going on, and it makes me happy to hear that, but it's still a, a troubling story. Yeah, and it, in a way, um, in my mind, this is understanding the fault lines. You know, we have, in this broken world, we have some lines of severe division within our world. If we're ever going to rectify them, we need to know the, the source or the beginning of the division. So this story, in my mind, is an important source of healing. How that will happen, I don't know, but I do think we need to pray on the story and think about it and understand it. Um, it's, it's, under, it's explaining what we see before us, which is, I mean, just looking at the city of Jerusalem, you know, with the, the temple mount and the division and the fighting and the walls and the just horror and the terror and the, the centuries of bloodshed. Um, it's a little bit like the Cain and Abel story. It's, it, it reminds me of a pebble hitting the water and the ripples go out and out and out. Here's the first conflict that then ripples out and out and out and out, and it's still rippling out and affecting our world. So how can we, um, I wish we could picture Hagar and Sarah getting along or some kind of reconciliation in heaven, maybe looking down and saying, oh, we messed up. 
kids. Do <laughs> get back together now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but well, also I, the sense is a sibling rivalry, which is interesting to me because Islam and, and Judaism and Christianity all do have the same Abrahamic roots. We do all have these the Hebrew scripture or and some kind of other scriptures. Um, and we are related. We are so much like siblings, and our hatred is partially so deep because we're sort of alike. It's very complicated, the animosity that runs between these faiths, because, and it's also about who is loved, who's the chosen one, who does God love more? It's really reminds me of two-year-olds. No, it's me. It's my turn, my turn. God loves me more. I mean, it's a very basic primal fight that humanity has been having with itself since the beginning. Mm-hmm. But it would seem that here God took a really active role in uh, helping that to happen somehow, or maybe He was just protecting both women. Well, I mean, God didn't. God did not place the idea of Hagar in Sarah's mind. That was Sarah's doing, and and God, if you look at it, sends these angels to comfort, to send them back, try to get them back together, mm-hmm. try to keep them alive. So there's a lot of good work that. God is doing. Now, God did make a promise, and Sarah didn't have the patience to wait, but maybe well, some actually, of this conflict... Well, an interesting point, because we can say that she didn't have the, the patience to wait, but in my mind, and Sarah gets a bum rap these days, Sarah was doing all she could to make that covenant stand on its own two feet. If Sarah doesn't think she's going to get pregnant, she's 90 years old... Mm-hmm. Um, if she doesn't think she's going to get pregnant, she's going to find a way to help God's plan work. Right. But isn't that what we sometimes do? It's almost like the enabler. Let God be God. You know, God says you're going to have a kid. You don't have to fix it. You don't maybe have to do it. Maybe it just wouldn't have happened with all the rest of it. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that God wanted Ishmael to be born, wanted Isaac to yeah, be born. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, um, God certainly loved Ishmael and edified right. him and um, so it wasn't a bad thing that he yeah, was. I, I always do think that Sarah was, in her own benighted way, was kind of helping the story, helping the covenant blossom. Because when she heard those angels say that she would give birth within the year, she laughed. She's 90 years old. And in, in, in the Hebrew, the word for pleasure, both sexual and emotional and physical, it's all in there in that one word. Well, I, can I have pleasure at this age, 90 years old? Uh, moisture is in there, the word, abundance is in there. And can I experience all those things? All of a sudden, she's talking about sexual pleasure. And that's a pretty wonderful thing for a 90-year-old woman. In the Bible, oh, yeah, I mean, Absolutely. I do think that uh, these women, especially in, this, especially in the book of Genesis, there's so much love and delight. I do think they were more than wombs. They were, they were, and, and in the context, of course, a lot of that is important, but they, they did have relationships. You look with uh, Jacob, how much he loved Rachel. I do think the story of Abraham and Sarah is a love story. Mm-hmm. There is not in the same way, perhaps, that we would see love these days, but there is love and caring and affection. And, of course, all the other negative emotions that go with the jealousy and mm-hmm. anger. It's mm-hmm. great stories. Um, it is a great story. Yeah. 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 Well, one of the things I love about scripture and I love about spending time with you, Kate, and with you, Lindsay, is that there are lots of ways to really explore and grapple with God's word. And there are 
every time we read and we talk about it. They're new learnings that we can get from the word itself and from each other. So I encourage, I am encouraged by our discussion and by the hope that even though we've had these centuries of conflict, that God is still with us and will be with us as we, um, during Lent and always are trying to, to follow a path of redemption and to return to God. So I'm really grateful for your time today. Is there anything that you would want, either of you would want to add um, on, about this story? Yeah, I, I hope that this is not a, um, a story of just sadness because what, and there certainly is conflict in the world from these two peoples uh, that have arisen, but there's also great diversity, great richness, great culture. There's so much wealth that came from Hagar and Sarah. They're the mothers of huge, vast, rich cultures now. So um, all we have to do is figure out how to get along. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right. And I would add to that the whole sense of God always leading and encouraging and challenging women to find freedom and independence to be their own people, to lead them out of very difficult situations, but also call on them to be just great harbingers of, of this wondrous faith, of humanity. And I'm grateful that we can recognize that they're not just minor players, they're major players in God. God affirms that. Yes. Amen. Amen. Kate, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to our next conversation as we explore the Mary Magdalene and her encounters with angels. Have a great day. Thank you for Thanks your time. Thank you too, Rochelle.